Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Refresh the summer vibes with Tic Tac and you could win a Lollapalooza VIP experience in Chicago. Visit TicTacSummer.com for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Open to legal residents of 50 U.S. states and D.C. 18 plus. Ends June 30th, 2024. Void in PR and where prohibited. See TicTacSummer.com for rules and free entry without UPC. Hi, I'm Tom Kerridge here on the BBC Good Food Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Johnny Crickmore of Fen Farm Dairy. Johnny is a third-generation dairy farmer farming along the Waverley Valley. In 2013, Johnny diversified into cheese making, making a French breeder Mostar cheese, and Fen Farm were recently awarded Best British Cheese Brand in 2023. So that's a, a 10-year journey there, Johnny. Uh, and it was voted for by the fine... And it was voted for by the Fine Food Digest readers. Johnny, tell us a little bit about how you got into cheesemaking, how you've got there. Uh, and that, I suppose that jump from being the dairy farmer into making cheese. Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, it's, it's not a straightforward journey. This could take some time. If, <laughs> if you want. But uh, yeah, I, it, I've been a dairy farmer all my life. I just love farming. And I'm, in particular, I love cows milking cows so you do you grew up on a farm your father it was your father's and then grandfather's before yeah, that same yeah. farm yeah yeah, right, yeah okay amazing just seen the seen through time as it's sort of slowly grown and we've you know done more things but it was a good 12 years ago that we we were so like fed up with the industry at the time and like milk prices are so bad and uh, and and there were so many dairy farms getting out of business. It was it wasn't the you know I just felt it wasn't a, a like it didn't have a great future where we were going with this. And me being in my late twenties, I was really enthusiastic and wanted to do stuff. And um, and I just uh, we went on this you know originally it started with free range hens, which we never got by the way. But but we saw the um, we saw free range that this this little shed what some of the free range hen farmers did, which were they were selling their eggs direct to the public. And we thought, why don't dairy farmers sell their milk direct to the public anymore? Yeah. And and we thought, well, what is there to lose? We'll just buy a garden shed, paint it like a cow, and then start putting our milk in there. And we were selling raw milk straight from the cow, as fresh as it could get, on homogenized, you know, cream at the top. Yeah. And like old school, like I remember as a yeah, kid. Yeah, proper old school. Yeah. And uh, I was, I always remembered like, 
every so often you'd hear sort of a usually an older person saying, oh, I remember when milk used to have the cream on the top and the blue tits would come and tap through the foil and all of those stories. And um, we thought, well, let's just like sell raw milk. And, you know, there's a little bit of work to get yourself started, but not a huge amount. And we started selling our milk direct. And and it was just sort of like, it, it just sort of, like there was something inside me. I just thought, this is amazing. It's like all that hard work producing milk uh, making this product, all the farming and stuff, what we do to get to this end point. And then we just see it disappear in a lorry. And for the first time in my life, we were like selling something direct to the to So the you had consumer. all of a sudden a connection to the yeah. end journey, to yeah. where it was going. So before you were just producing something and it disappears. Like I imagine like a lot of uh, most farmers, whether it's wheat or any form of crop or anything to do with arable or even uh, v- v- livestock, you know, mm. it disappears to an abattoir and then it's gone. Yeah. But actually you were then that part, you were the next step, that next level of the journey. Yeah. And then also be able to get customer feedback and speak to people. So it was very, very different. So you started engaging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just felt so good. It was talking to people local to the farm and they were coming to the farm and getting their milk and they were saying such lovely things about what they were, you know, it's our work, our hard work and people were saying nice stuff to us and we didn't get that. As opposed to getting squeezed on price on yeah, a great big... Yeah, yeah. You, you, just, you know, you just didn't really get it. So let's put this into context in terms of volume and amount. How much milk were you producing per week? Uh, per week, so it, uh, roughly about 6,000, 7,000 litres a day. Right. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so that's know, a lot. That by seven. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a lot of cows. That's a lot of milk in. There's a lot yeah. of cattle. And then, how much of that then did you go? Actually, we're going to keep this percentage mm. and sell it ourselves. Well, uh, it was literally. I just took a few bottles out of the bottom of the tank. So it was like thirty liters of milk was the first day. Yeah. And I thought, well, if no one buys it, I, I'll get through it eventually in the next few yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With so, 30 litres, that's a lot of coffee. That's, well, a, that's, a, that's a lot of posh cappuccinos. Well, I, I, had, <laughs> I had planned Weetabix every morning. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it was like, what was there to lose? We we're going to have this little garden shed in the back of our, our garden. I could put our forks and the lawnmower in it. You know, the worst case. Yeah. And we started, and it, and it just took off and the people kept coming back and 30 litres became 50 and 50 became 100 and 150 and I kept taking a little bit more every day. the tank. Yeah, every day. So was that local people in the area that knew you, knew it, and then all of a sudden they, they recognised that you could get fresh milk from right next door to the dairy, mm. the cows that they see driving up and down the roads every day, they go, you can actually get it instead of now having to go to the supermarket. Yeah. And also, I suppose, a little bit more of supporting a, a local business, making sure that they're giving money back to, they're going directly into that local mm. business, into you. Yeah. So that grew and grew and grew. And do you still do that now? Yeah, still to this day. We've still got the garden shed there. I mean, now we sell loads of things in it. Yeah. I mean, there's like people there all day long buying, buying like, coffees and uh, ice cream and, I don't know, bread. We, You know, obviously all our products as well. But, uh, yeah, it's a proper little farm shop now. All local produce as well. So that's diversified and grown over those 10 years. But I suppose you're most famous for for your cheese. And one mm. cheese in particular it suddenly took off massively for you, wasn't it? So you've got this milk. You decide to make cheese. What is the next process? How do you do that? Because I've been to... I've been very fortunate. I've been to cheesemakers and I've seen, and actually the process from dairy farm is one thing. It's quite, you know, it's livestock, it's cattle, it's mud, it's hay. It's, mm. it's then the reality of a cheesemaking 
is so controlled. It's so much about um, the science, the process, the health and safety, the environment. How do you suddenly go from third generation farming mm. into a mindset that actually cheese making is something? It's actually something quite controlled and very different, isn't it? Mm. How yeah. do you do that jump, that step? Yeah, good point. Uh, I I I guess I you know it's just it's sort of like kind of sometimes it's just the way you're built your brain is like we're all different our brains function in different ways and I always like to like I I was always about the detail I've always been that way and uh and I just when I found cheese making and I started reading books about it and I and I just loved the detail and and it is it's chemistry and you know it's it's a very different different thing very different when i mean in some ways they're so close farming and food but in other ways they're so different and and it it it, it was just the love the, the the love and the the desire of wanting to be a cheesemaker what just kept me learning and just you know taking on more and more um but but you know it it's a very odd place our business our farm because you've got like you say you've got mud and you've got the fields out the back the cows the animals and and in the middle of it all you've got this box which is like white walls it sort of looks like you know something out of one of those movies like where the crazy people go where it's all white yeah yeah <laughs> and um and uh yeah and we literally make cheese the window separates the cows to the cheese making now so you went with okay now i've got all this cheese i'm not getting rid of my six or 7,000 litres a day. Uh, I'm keeping some of it back for me to sell. And actually, what can I do? What can I do with it? Can I make Can I make a cheese? Mm. What was the next process? How did you get to that point? How did you decide what style? Because we all know there's all different types of cheese. Like, you know, if you're a cheese lover, and you, you know, you, there's so many variants between hard and soft and uh, whether they're blue, whether they're, you know, all the different variants. What's, what made you go, Aki, I'm going to go down making this rather than a cheddar style one. Mm. You went down a breeder mo kind of style. Mm -hmm. so, so, so like we did one thing at a time. It's like first was the idea we wanted to make cheese. It's like, well, now what do we do? It's like, so we started to try and find people who had some connection to cheesemakers because it seemed the obvious thing. You're going to need to visit a cheesemaker. So luck happened that we had, you know, we just contacted cheesemakers and found the right people and all such lovely people. Um, cheesemakers in the UK, they're, the whole lot of them are like stars. They're so kind and helpful. And and we just started to see cheeses being made and different styles. At this point, we didn't know what we were going to make. Didn't have a clue how to make cheese, to be quite honest. And, <laughs> um, and you know, one thing led us to the next. And, and it probably eventually took us to Neil's Yard Dairy in London, cheese shop. Uh, yeah. You're probably aware of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I met with the, the, the buyer, Bronwyn Percival, and we, we visited the shop. And it just seems... From that day, it was obvious what we needed to do. There in the middle sat the Brie de Meaux, and it was all these British Isles cheeses, all done really well. Like, that, you know, some amazing cheeses in that shop. And and there sat this French one, and it was like, that's what we need to do. And Is it, that because it stood out in the shop that everything else was British and they were great, but there wasn't a British equivalent of exactly, something that good? Exactly. Okay. And I asked Neil's Yard, I said, why don't you stock some of the British Brie's? And they said, well, we're, we, we're about, like, you know, getting really the best cheese. And we can't really find one which is made in the UK, which quite, you know, like matches the Breeder Mo. 
and I just thought, oh, yeah, that's what we need to do. We've got to make, we've that's got to it. make that cheese. We've got right. to make the cheese as good as the French do. So it wasn't necessarily your love of that particular style of cheese. You saw the gap in the British cheese market of going, that's one that I'm going to attack. Exactly. I, I actually like blue cheese. Right, okay. <laughs> so you don't even like my own cheese. <laughs> oh, no, I, I do. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, But at the time, I did have in the back of my mind blue cheese. Okay, so you then went down the process of making... Uh, now, uh, it's called Baron... Well, you've you pronounced it by, by God. God. You can say right? Big God. It's well, all right. Baron Big God, Baron By God. Uh, but it's a it is a breed of most style cheese. It's mm. a beautiful cheese. I think it's fantastic. I love it as a cheese. I think it's really really uh, incredible. But it's had this. How long did it take to get right? I mean, talk us through the process of cheese making for people who don't know how to make cheese from raw milk. Mm-hmm. How do you then get to the point where you've made this beautiful? Unpasteurized, or is it pasteurized? It's pasteurized. Okay, so a beautiful pasteurized Breeder Mo style cheese. How? What's the process from start to finish? So, so there's the easy answer. What I'm going to tell you, or the really complicated one. Let's take the easy one. Okay, right. So, so (laughs) you get milk, and you're going to probably need, you know, depending on the type of cheese, but most of them you'll need to add a, a culture, starter culture, lactic bacteria. You add that to the milk, and the milk needs to be warm. So the bacteria starts multiplying. Now, uh, to get it good, you've got to have a way of measuring the acidity. So like using TA or pH. And uh, every cheese is different, but at a certain pH or TA, um, you will uh, there will be a number which you then add rennet. And rennet is an enzyme which um, its sole purpose is to go around, find all the proteins in the milk, cut off these little um, hairs called capacasin, and then the proteins become like magnets and they stick to themselves. And that forms your curd. So think of like curds and whey. So uh, so you've got curd. Now you, uh, depending again on... So like in a great big bath where you've got all the cheese in it, it now separates. Yep. So it comes to the top is the curd that floats on the top, like a floating raft of, what's the best way of describing it? A bit like tofu, I suppose, like soft yeah, and spongy you've on got the top. It. Yeah, it's, and underneath is more, is the way, which is the liquidy. Well, actually, it's more the other way around. The liquid actually starts coming through the curd. Right. Once you cut it, you find that happens. To begin with, you're right. It, it sort of like starts, the way starts coming around the edges. But, all it's doing is trying to escape because the proteins are trying to squeeze. And when they do, they're pushing the whey out. So the more you cut the curd, the more the whey releases. And disappears. And, yeah. And then you can like decide whether you're going to have a soft cheese or a hard cheese. Right. Okay. And what, so, cut. yeah. So there, how many times do you cut it? Do The more you cut it, does it make it softer or the more you cut it, does it make it harder? Um, the more you cut it, makes it harder. Because you're expelling as much yeah. liquid as possible. You've got it. So, so the so, more you get rid of. Yeah, and it, and it, it it it's all like so dependent on the 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 moisture of the curd and the way you cut it as to what you, what what that cheese eventually becomes. It temperature has a huge part to play as well. So, uh, so say for instance, our cheese is soft cheese. We cut it quite big pieces, and we don't disturb it too much. We don't stir it or anything like that. So the curd. So then, after a time, once the right amount of whey has been released, we then gently uh, ladle the the curd thin strips into the the, the hoops you know what the, the eventually the cheese shape yeah uh, becomes and we're doing that all by hand and 
I always used to think like seeing like, you know, in the early days when we first started making, I always thought that was such a beautiful sort of like process, that part and the way the French do it where they've, you know, they've got these stainless steel like, like ladles with holes in them and they're just taking thin slices of this stuff and putting it in hoops. And uh, yeah, it's just, there's something a little bit magical about that moment, doing it all by hand. So then you're, so you're lifting the curds out and you're pressing them into, putting them into the hoops and leaving them there to set. Do you press them at all at any point? So you just leave them to chill? Yeah. Go uh, cold? No, no, set. no, not, well, kind of, yeah. yeah. So so you, you don't press the cheese what we make. Some cheeses you obviously do, hard cheeses, but... With our cheese, you just let the the weight of itself like push down on itself. Yeah. But you'll you'll flip the cheese over um, five. Well, we we flip it over five times over the next few hours. So you keep flipping them up, upside down, so they start creating the shape. Yeah. And the the over that period of time, the temperature slowly decreases. It's all controlled, so we don't like just let it do its thing. No. To get it good and consistent, you need to control the temperature. So how did you learn all of these processes in if you didn't know it? If you're just a dairy farmer and you don't know, have you brought somebody else in specializing in it? Or is it something that you've learned and you've done it practice and practice and practice and made many mistakes, I'm sure, trying to oh, do yeah. it? Oh, God, yeah, I've got so many mistakes. Uh, it, it's because like it was a French cheese, it wasn't that much help out there. Great people like, you know, a couple of French cheesemakers who sort of did help so much. But, you know, there's only so much time. They're busy people. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. and you know, they don't want some annoying English man who can't even speak to them properly <laughs> um, asking them all these random questions, you know. Yeah. So I, I kind of felt embarrassed to keep asking. So, I, you know, we just kept making cheese. We just kept making it. And I remember the French, my French cheese teacher telling me, he said, I'm going to tell you what to do, how to make this cheese. He said, but I'm not going to tell you everything because it's pointless because you won't remember it. You won't understand it. You have to just do it. It's the best way in every business. You've got to yeah. learn by your mistakes. You have a you go do. at it, doing it. However, the business, you're not that old in all things considered, considering how mm. well you've grabbed that market space and attacked it and done very well. So is all the cheeses now that you make, um, are they all from your dairy? Is it is mm. only using, you're not using any extra? Have you had to increase the amount uh, of farming that you do or have you decreased the amount of milk that you sell? Decreased the amount of milk that we sell. Okay. So it's still the same size herd. Right. Um, so so we just focused on adding value to our milk, really. That And, you know, and... and yeah, you know, and just that cheese, Baron Bygod, I've just focused. It's just been focused every week, literally every week. It's a, like we, we discuss how the week's gone and what we've learned. And like, we don't like things what go wrong. It really annoys us. Yeah. So you, you, you just keep, you just keep searching for like, how do I overcome this problem? Now, obviously, um, farming doesn't work on a seven-day week, does it? it no. you, know, you know, cows don't know what day of the week it is. No. They still need milk in this goes on. So is this a constant seven-day week process that you're constantly making cheese? You're mm. constantly going through that process. Even on Christmas Day, you're still cheese making. Yeah, I mean, we don't, we're not every day cheese making. Every day we're milking. The cows never stop. They still have to be milked. They still have to be fed. That never stops. But I mean, there's always stuff to do with the cheese. You yeah. know, you, you can't, you've got to look after it. How long do you age it's, it for? It's, it's usually about, depending on the size, there's three different sizes of the cheese and the little ones mature a bit quicker. Uh, you're probably looking sort of four or five weeks for the little ones, six, seven weeks for the bigger ones. So, but they all got to be 
manage. I, I think uh, we worked out, we touch every cheese, you know, do have to do something by hand with that cheese about eight times while it's while it's with us at the Each farm. one. Each cheese. Each cheese. I mean, it's unbelievable. The more and more conversations I have with people and producers and suppliers, the amount of human contact, interaction, touch, care, love, understanding of the product that goes, you know, that that is irreplaceable. You mm. you can't, you know, you can machine manufacture so many different things and you can process cheeses and you can do whatever. But actually when it comes to beautiful ingredients touched and looked after and loved, you, you cannot escape human contact with an understanding, an eye, a real feel for I, something. I couldn't agree more. I just, it's like that with any food. It's, it's like, it just makes it better. I can't truly understand. I can't tell you the full reason why. But as soon as you start doing like thousands of something with a machine, that there's a love, there's an element. It's an ingredient in cooking. It's one that I use, I, I, I talk about it a lot, that it doesn't matter if you overcook something. It doesn't matter if your omelette's overcooked or your carrots are overcooked. If, you, if you've loved the process of making it, it's still going to taste, all right? There's, there's that sense. And, and then when you actually then get it right and you cook it beautifully, but you've loved doing it and all that process, you know, when you serve it to a guest or a friend or a colleague or whatever, there is something, there's something there that's just very, very special. Mm. And it's not an ingredient and you can't put, you, you cannot tell exactly what it is. Mm. But it is, it's a, it's a connection. It's a real, uh, I suppose it's an emotional contact that mm. a human being has with a, a organic product, you know, whether whether it is cheese, whether it's winemaking, whether it's brewing, whether whether it's livestock and cattle, whether it's, you know, picking potatoes from the ground. There is something mm. much more special and you can really tell that difference when mm. it comes farm, hands, people, chef, produce, and then the love of somebody presenting to it. Yeah. It's a big thing. That is, it makes a big, big difference but all of that has a value you know yeah. all of that is it has a real relatable value to it yeah. and it's very very important and you know our listeners to this they're the, the people that will completely understand it and are in tune with that understanding but your childhood growing up talk me about you know cheese and dairy and it was that something what was it what was it like you know growing up on a farm uh, what was the, what was your food basis there how you know what do, what was your early memories of food and like as a child um, I just love food. <laughs> that was a, bit, a good way of just, I mean, I, I was always, as a kid, I always loved it when my mother and father would take us out for like Sunday dinner or to the pub or, you know, or go out for a meal. I was always up. I was always, you know, wanted to go out. It was exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I've, I've always loved food and, and as I've got older, I've, I've loved it like, uh, more is that the right word? Complicated food or complex? Yeah, complex or, layers yeah. of flavors. Yeah, you know, fla- all those yeah. Sort of, and, yeah, and, and appreciate them. Yeah, yeah. So I, it, it's all. Uh, but uh, but do you I, think that's become because you're now involved in the food industry rather than just a dairy farmer? You've now no. become involved in the food industry yeah. and your love and what it goes into making a cheese. You know, you now recognize that with every cheese maker. Mm. You know, whether it's a hard cheese or a blue cheese or another yeah. soft cheese or, or any food which is yeah yeah which has had the same level of care. But I, but I was already already loving that sort of side of it before I even started cheese. So when when there was that that you know like uh, we were like good friends with you know people who own restaurants before we've made cheese. You know they were, I found those people really interested and want to be friends with them. But it was once I once we had our thing what we did which was cheese making, it just felt so good. You know and 
and that's the thing like what gets me up every day it's this it's this knowing that you're you're doing something which is going to places where people are enjoying it and respecting it and 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 putting it on their menu and i mean that's just it just that's why you keep getting up in the morning you know it's why when you get up in those dark mornings in december january and like on a sunday morning and everyone else is asleep yeah. it's what makes you do it yeah you keep going back to it but what about cheese as a child then when you grew up was cheese a big thing in the family was it something that you or was it like everybody else like cheddar that you'd stick in a sandwich or have cheese on toast it was i have to say it was mostly a cheddar on and usually on on toast yeah <laughs> it was it was the very <laughs> there's nothing stuff. wrong with cheese on toast a little bit of Worcester sauce makes it go a long yeah. way as well though but but you also have to remember like I, I was a child in the 1980s and and like like exposure to like good cheese like it wasn't easy to get that stuff back then you know we were seeing the decline and the uh, of of shops what what had good food like those all those great little independents on the high street they're all disappearing at that period of time so so you kind of it just you know for maybe like central london there's some stuff but you know like once you're out there bungie and the heart you know like right out there in the sticks that you just couldn't get a hold of the very good difficult food very, to get a hold of it very well but what about you know what what's your favorite you know Cheese now has obviously become a big part of your life. Is there is there a favourite one that you go to? If you were in Neil's yard or mm. a great big beautiful cheese supplier, and mm -hmm. you were looking around, what cheese would you go for? What would you pick? Oh, God, that's so hard. So I I, I do I have to say I love like soft washed rind cheeses. So the washed rind cheeses for people that don't know, they're the ones that normally are a little bit more stinky. They're the they ones are. that have got that kind of big pungent flavour. Mm. One that if you've got kids, they go, oh, I'm not eating that. Yeah. But they're the ones that as grown-ups, you go, this tastes amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that. I, I really love that cheese. But I I mean, I have to say, I, I, you know, I love Comte, you know, so I know it's a French cheese. But like... How good is Comte cheese? It's very good. It's it's very special, actually. It's incredibly individual. And that, just that nuttiness and the flavor mm. that you get from it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the region where it comes from, I think the milk makes a big, big difference. You mm. know, like, so obviously it comes from um, it's alpine cheese. It's a, so the grass, the air, everything about it is very different. And do you find, you know, we talk about it in so many different uh, points that we've touched on doing these podcasts with suppliers, the area, the type of area that something comes from has a big significant difference in the type of cheese that you can make, whether it's the milk that, uh, and, and that the cows, uh, the grass that they're grazing on, it all has a huge impact on the end mm. result of the dish that you're making. I, I, yeah, I definitely agree. The, there is something about, it's harder to pick it up in milk. So we've done like, uh, you know, like other cheesemaker friends of mine, we've got together with our bottles of milk and we've done a milk off with each other. And it's hard to tell the difference in milk. But as soon as you turn that milk into cheese, it does have this sort of like magical effect where it brings out this uniqueness of that, you know, of that herd and that, you know, what's going on in that area. And it does. So from the milk, it's fairly similar. But the moment you start setting it and trying to age it or press it or do whatever, it suddenly has different different characteristics that yeah. are, are very much about its terroir of where it's sat from. It's sort of like if you could, see my hands right now like it starts off, off off like this and as that milk you know you'd send it in different angles they go they go it off goes, on two different tangents yeah, and it go, different it, ways it just expands like as to what you add to the milk temperature bacteria dry matter you know all of that sends it into different 
different directions. Okay, so the science of it goes further down the line once it's once, once it's on to making the cheese. Now, I love cheeses. Okay, I think they're fantastic. And there's so many different types around it. And is there any kind of like myths or, or, or misconceptions about cheese that you can think of? Uh, hmm. Things like the rind of cheese is one of the ones. Like, oh, yeah. Can, can, you, can you eat it? Yeah, yeah. So rinds, you can eat them. Uh, you could. The, 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 what you just don't want to eat is ones what are like plaster coated or wax. Yeah. So you know you can usually tell that. So you need the to Swiss cut that cheeses off. where it's like but yeah yeah, yeah. the gouda sort of like cheese. Yeah. You, you don't want to eat the rind on that. But soft cheeses are fine. Like Stilton's blue cheeses, they look a bit sort of like like old and brown and like on the outside, but. It's actually fine. It's it's it, and full of flavor. Actually, yeah, loads like of flavor. It's sat there for the age, and yeah. it's got the most flavor in some ways. It's like yeah, but it, yeah, it's you just gotta um, yeah, it, you, be be sensible of what what cheese you decide to eat the rind. If you eat one with pla- plastic on it, then you're uh, that's gonna have a weird taste. So uh, yeah, 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 or no taste. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a couple of quick fire questions. You got to tell me the first answer that comes into your head. What's your most well thumbed cookery book? We do see Nigella's cookbook on our in our kitchen quite a bit, uh, oh, and that's a great Bible to go by. Yeah. Like, I mean, there isn't anything that she does is wrong. I mean, they're all yeah. fantastic recipes, and obviously the BBC Good Food website. You know, there's some great recipes there if you're in the cookbook. Mm. What about um, what music do you cook to? If once you, if you're in the kitchen, you're doing something. If you're making cheese on toast, do you do you get music on, or do you sit the radio on? What do you do? Um, yeah, I'd happily. I I, I find um, listening to something like Muse, um, yeah. I, I Muse or um, Radiohead. I I it's just I like that music, so yeah. I just I just happily just it just gets me motivated and doing stuff. I I tend to like I like, once I get in the rhythm of music, I then work to the pace of it. Yeah, and uh, it's very much like kitchens. You work to the pace of the, the music that you have on. If you have music on, yeah, then you, yeah, it's very much it's, so. It, yeah, it's, it's, so it's really there's int- an energy level. Yeah. yeah, and we put that when we do ladling, we put music on uh, a forty-five minute playlist when, when we ladle curd because we know we need to get the curd into the hoops for making cheese in forty-five minutes because otherwise the rennet is setting. It, it's it's just it's too long a period, so yeah. we put music on. To, so you you keep to the pace when you're ladling. Keep the energy. Yeah. I love that. Do you play music to the cattle? Um, they 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 do have a bit of music in the parlor, yeah. in the milking parlor. Yeah, it just sort of again, it just it's a bit of a rhythm thing, isn't it? Like, and I I think for like our guys who are milking, like you know, it's it's something quite nice when you you're on your feet and you're doing something, and you just sort of get into that rhythm of. You know, with yeah. music, with what you do, and there is something quite nice about that. Yeah, it's very connectable. Music and food go together really, really well. Now, I, I know where you live in the world, and it's a nice, it's a beautiful part of the world. But what about like, where's a great place to go for cheap eats or restaurants, a pub or a market? Where's nearby to you that is your kind of like go-to place if you manage to sneak away? So, like uh, local restaurants that we'll go to the boarding house in Halesworth. Friends with the owners there; they're great people. Uh, oh, there's just so many. The Fox and Goose, Fressingfield. Um, it's a great, great place. Again, we go there quite a bit. But you've, yeah, you've, there's, a, there's a lot of good restaurants. I don't want to like, it's Fantastic so many of spaces. them. I mean, you're, yeah. if you're in a farming community and surrounded by great food and you've got restaurants that interact and interchange with it, then mm. it's a great place and a nice part of the world to be. And also like, you know, we've done, I think, 
in our area, we've, we've, everyone's really got all the restaurants, pubs got behind local food and they tend to like, you know, make, make, make the the menu from a lot of local dishes that's what people want now yeah you know they want to see stuff. Want provenance heart yes. and soul and reality and they so, want to know that it's getting coming from the same shed that they can buy their milk from yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and then last question what makes you optimistic for the future i i think the I, i'm really optimistic about the 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 cheese industry um it, it's just going it's just going that way all the time going upwards, upwards. yeah it, it, it's just it, you know like i i i think over the last few years it's just you know we we didn't get into cheese thinking like any of this stuff was going to happen but it has gone gone from strength to strength and i think more people once they find good cheese it's really difficult to like not continue with that so so i think it's a really exciting place the cheese industry and i'm you know i'm just very excited about the future of of the whole thing and uh, and the great uh, and the great produce what we make in the UK right now it's just really exciting seeing like other people like starting food food production and in, you know and like you know I'm going to have a go at this food like no one's done this before in this kind of way and like you know their take on it and 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 you keep seeing this more and more and you know it's not just cheese or bakery as charcuterie there's just more and more people thinking out of the box and and doing new and becoming a bit things. more specialized and i think the consumer understanding that great food has touch points of humans like we talked about it before the, pra- the fact that you have to turn the cheese you touch each cheese mm. individually like at least eight times in the process of getting there like in all of that understanding i think is fantastic so yeah i think you're right the optimism for for people's understanding of of great quality produce being led forward and johnny listen i can't thank you enough for chatting to us today you've been you've been amazing it's a wonderful success story and i wish you all the best because it's genuinely a heartfelt um, energy and effort into making something work, but also an incredible cheese. It's fantastic. And it does stand there with the best French breed of Mose, if not better than all of them. So congratulations on all your success. And uh, listen, I can't wait to hear for your recipe as well for the creamy pappardelle with fennel and pancetta. And guys, thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to the bonus cook-along recipe. For more details, see bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Johnny, thanks ever so much for joining us. And to everybody else, thanks ever so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.